reading this morning is Acts 11, verses 19 to 26. That's Acts 11, 19 to 26, which can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1105. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Good morning. It's great to see you here. And uh, you might, if you were following the uh, church program card, not be expecting to see me here at this point in the service. But um, occasionally, from time to time, uh, for one reason or another, the person scheduled to speak can't do so, and that's happened this week. And um, so if you're expecting a sermon in the series on the Beatitudes, you're not going to get it. I'm sorry for that. So I've given you a reference on the back of your service sheet to a really excellent sermon on the Beatitude that you should have been hearing about. And if you want to follow that up, you can look at Rick Warren. He will give a most marvelous sermon on that. But I have the opportunity to speak on anyone I like or any passage I like, and I've picked one of my favorite characters, a man called Barnabas. But before I speak, let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word before us. Thank you for the person Barnabas and the massive difference that he made to the early church and, in fact, by implication to our lives too. And we pray this morning that you might have access to our hearts, that you'd be able to speak to each one of us, that we'd be willing to become a person who brings encouragement to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've got a very simple question for us, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one anyway, but I'd like a bit of audience participation. Would you put your hand up if you appreciate it when people encourage you? Now, if there's anyone without their hands up, prayer ministry is available at the end of the service. Encouragement makes a massive difference to our lives, does it not? In everything. I mean, quite often you will hear sports champions 
after they'd just won some enormous trophy, and they will have the chance to make a, some kind of comment or speech, and they will say, I'd like to thank my mother, my father, my coach, this, that, and the other, because of the encouragement they've given me over so many years. But it's not just sports people, the same is true for uh, actors, musicians, academics, parents, vicars. We all appreciate being encouraged. But it's especially vital, I would make the case, it's especially vital for us in our spiritual journey. Because if you've been trying to follow Jesus Christ for any length of time at all, short or long, you will know that discouragement comes your way. And it's not just ordinary human discouragement. I think the enemy, we're told by Jesus, there is a spiritual battle, and you can expect that discouragement comes your way. And so we are especially indebted to people who encourage us. As I stop and reflect on it, uh, over my uh, Christian life, yes, sermons have helped me. I have to believe that. But I, it's true, sermons have helped me. Yes, books have helped me. But without doubt, I, I know for a fact, I wouldn't be standing before you today. I wouldn't even be following Jesus still today were it not for the encouragement of different individuals who have stepped up and at the appropriate times spoken words of encouragement, given me encouragement to keep going. And so... I'm pretty committed to this idea, and I can see the value of this man I'm going to speak about, Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is actually not his real name. It's his nickname. When we're introduced to him in the book of Acts, we're told his name was Joseph, and he was a Levite. And that's all we really know about him in his uh, family history, but he was given the nickname Mr. Encouragement. I'm sort of tempted to ask uh, what your friends might nickname you, but we won't go there. Mr. Encouragement, what a fantastic nickname to have. And if you do a Bible study, which I'm going to actually do with you now, and you look up every reference to this man Barnabas, so you just look up in a concordance the name Barnabas, you'll find something very striking that every time he's mentioned, something encouraging is going on. Either in the verse before his name is mentioned or the verse afterwards, something encouraging is going on. And I've got very, very good news for us this morning, which is this. Every single one of us, just like I imagine every single one of us put up our hands to say we appreciate encouragement, every single one of us can become an encourager. It's within our grasp. It's not like me standing at the front and saying, put your hand up if you want to become an astronaut. Because frankly, with the best will in the world, very few of us would make it. You know, it's an aspiration too far. But when it comes to, would you like to be an encourager? Absolutely every single one of us can make it. And I want us to have that in mind as I run through and introduce us to the seven distinctives of an encourager. But this message does come with a slight warning. I can remember when I was at university, there were certain lectures that I went to 
and the person at the front would be talking, and every single point they made, I'd be thinking, well, that's obvious. That, well, that really, that's a no-brainer, that's so clear. And somehow, when I got into the exam, it wasn't so obvious. And every thought went from my head. And it's possible at every point I make, you know, because they're not difficult, they're not difficult, you might think, well, that's obvious. Well, it may be obvious, and it may be simple. In fact, I think they all are. But the question is uh, whether we can incorporate them into our lives habitually so that we become people of encouragement. Now, I'm going to take them in the order that they come in the scriptures. And the first time that we're introduced to Barnabas is in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. Well, we read this, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And I have to say, that is irrepressibly encouraging. And here's the first point then, the first hallmark of his encouragement. He, his wholehearted commitment and his outrageous generosity. He was literally sold out for the Lord. And we'll come back to this again and again, but there's nothing half-baked about this man. Some people are occasionally on fire for Christ, you know, after a conference, say, but they're occasionally distant. And I have friends like this, and I love them dearly, but I don't know where they are with Christ, and it just depends on what's going on when I meet them. Which isn't actually terribly encouraging. But I'm sure you have friends, and there are many in this congregation, who you know every single day, regardless of what's going on, they are fully committed to Christ. They're consistently up for it. They are like Barnabas, and that is hugely encouraging. We're never going to encourage someone else in their spiritual life if our spiritual life is lackluster, are we? But here is Barnabas, and he's awesomely generous. I think we have to say that, because he sells a field that he owes, and he gives the proceeds to the apostles. He literally puts it in their treasury and says, there you are, it was mine, it's yours now, do what you like. And do you think they met together at the end of the day and say, oh, such a discouraging day today. We were just given another field. Never. Of course not. They went home singing and dancing, I'm sure. Do you think our treasurer, who I see near the back of the church, when we have a gift day and people are generous, goes home and says to himself, oh, dear, such a discouraging day. No, of course not. And one of the reasons, of course, as it happens at the moment, I feel, we as a congregation can easily encourage one another is because of the outrageous generosity together that will see the Transform Project proceeding at the same time as the ministries of the church going forward. It's part of what encouragement is. And in this dimension, money does talk. Many years ago now, uh, I was involved in a church plant in London uh, and a church in Addison Road in West Kensington. And it's always stood out in my mind as an example of, of this. Um, a group of 100 people went from HTB 
under John Irving's leadership, actually, to take over St. Barnabas Church. And St. Barnabas Church was um, a large barn, and it was very, very cold. And it had a congregation of about a dozen people. And they wore overcoats to worship in the summer and in winter. It was just so wretchedly cold. And this dozen people had been praying for years that God would do something in their midst. But they hadn't expected the answer to be uh, a group of young people arriving with loud music, etc., etc. And to be frank, over the first few weeks, there was a degree of kind of uh, frisson whenever the old God and the new God met. Until one Sunday, and there was a gift day. And the gift day was for a new heating unit. And you looked around this congregation of, of young people, and you couldn't actually see where the money would come from. But there was uh, a target to try and pay for a new heating system. And amazingly, amazingly, through the generosity of God's people, this thing was fully funded one particular Sunday. And as people were able to leave their overcoats behind and start to worship in a degree of comfort, all the kind of, well, it was more of a thaw than just a temperature thaw. People were encouraged. It is encouraging. We can encourage each other. We can encourage each other through outrageous generosity. That was the first thing. That's the first thing. Now, I'm, I slightly regret it is the first thing because I would have liked to have limbered up with six other easier points. But as it's first in Scripture, you got it first. He was fully committed, and he was outrageously generous. That's the first striker. If you want to be an encourager, encourager, stick that in your notes and pray that it might be true for you. Secondly, he was a person of immense loyalty. If Barnabas was your friend, he was your friend for life. Now, it's not difficult to be friends of people who are rising stars, but it takes character and commitment to stand up and stand by people when they're considered suspect or when they're in difficulty. But that's exactly what Barnabas did for Saul. When I say Saul in the New Testament, you and I think of Paul, and uh, he's a figure that we revere. But it wasn't the case when Barnabas first met him. Look at Acts 9. Verse 26, well, I'll read them to you. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he'd preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Actually, this is one of the reasons, I think, that we could say that Barnabas is one of the three or four most significant people in the New Testament. Just think about it. it. Who knows, if he hadn't gone to Saul and staked his reputation on Saul, maybe we wouldn't have half the New Testament, any of Saul or Paul's writings. Maybe he never would have been accepted by the believers. But you see what he does here? He literally stakes his reputation to increase Saul's reputation. It's amazingly gratifying and encouraging when you find you have friends who will speak up for you when you're not there. Isn't it? You can only be encouraged when the gossip gets back to you and you hear that someone has 
complimented you and you were not around. That has to be encouraging. And surely it's within all of our grasp to do that. Whatever environments we work in at work, at home, in our colleges, that was something that Barnabas did. Thirdly, he could see what was good in people and in situations. Acts 11, 21. The Lord's hand was with them, that's the scattered disciples, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached a church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now, it's quite easy to gloss over these verses and think, well, what's remarkable about those? But I'll tell you what's remarkable about those verses. I'm absolutely certain it would have been possible for a group of people arriving at that new young church to have looked around and seen at least five things wrong straight away and said, oh, they don't do that back home in Jerusalem like this. But that wasn't Barnabas's way. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. And that's not a common gift, to see evidence of the grace of God. It's a great thing to pray, I think. Help me today. Help me in this service. Help me when I go to work to see evidence of the grace of God. It's far more common for people to say, do you know what you did wrong? I remember when I arrived in Cambridge 13 years ago, a group of students from Ridley Theological College came around to see me, and they said, we'd love to be on placement with you. I said, oh, that's great. Why? And they said, well, we want to see the mistakes you're going to make. And I can remember preaching my first ever sermon in London in a particular church. And of course, you're pretty nervous, and you've tried as hard as you possibly could. And I remember walking to the back of the church and standing by the door, and immediately this young girl, probably about a year younger than me, preaching at the time, came, strode up to me with great confidence and said, let me tell you what's wrong with your sermon. And she was going to tell me whether I let her or not, so I took it, kind of both barrel loads. And then at the end, she said with a triumphant look, you see, I have the spiritual gift of criticism, which I think I might have tried to point out I couldn't find in the Bible. But that wasn't Barnabas's way. That wasn't Barnabas's way. He said to them, let me tell you what you're doing right. When he arrived and saw evidence of the grace of God, any evidence of the grace of God is to be encouraged. And he demands only one thing, that they remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Roy Jenkins wrote a biography of Lloyd George, and he refers to a time when Lloyd George brought Churchill into his cabinet. And this is uh, the reason why, apparently. He, Lloyd George, says, this is from a diary of a close friend of Lloyd George's, he, Lloyd George, says, he wants someone who will cheer him up and help him and encourage him and who will not continually be coming to him with a long face and telling him everything that's going wrong. At present, he says, he has to carry the whole of his colleagues on his back. Well, in Christian work, it's just the same. It's the same for all of us. We need encouragement of friends. Let me tell you an extreme example of encouragement I received once. 
I, I got an invitation to go and speak to and two groups of people at two alpha conferences in the United States quite a few years ago now. And I was quite nervous about it, and I knew they were spending quite a lot on airfares, and I felt a great obligation that it should go well. And when I turned up to speak at the first conference in, in a, a very difficult part of Washington, D.C., me and a worship leader had been flown over from the U.K., and it was a peculiar conference. And um, as we stood up at the beginning, there were just eight people, I think, attending this conference of which seven were there on what were euphemistically called scholarships. And um, the odd thing about it was that at no, none of the talks were there more than two people present in the room. The other six were kind of taking a break. It was very strange. And um, after the two-day conference, we had a kind of debrief session with the chief honchos of Alpha America. And um, they said that was a fantastic conference. That was absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for coming. That was brilliant. Of course, we were dying inside. We knew that it, it, it really wasn't. So I, I kind of remonstrated and said, well, it's very kind of you, but I, I, I can see it wasn't that great. He said, yeah, it was amazing. It was fantastic. Now we know what happens when you try and run an alpha conference in that particular part of Washington, D.C. It bombs. What a great discovery. And, you know, they found a way of being encouraging. Now, and rest assured, the next conference in Texas was quite different. But I, I was encouraged just by such a positive attitude. Barnabas could see what was good. The fourth area, when Barnabas talked about God, he was realistic. He wasn't all soap. He talked about the good times and the bad times. His encouragement, let me say, was sincere. I was thinking about this, and I was reflecting. You know that our main sports people, I think they're coached forever by psychologists. And um, when they come in front of the TV cameras at the end of a game, of whether it's cricket or rugby or tennis, and um, even if they've been absolutely hammered, you know, they lose their cricket match by an innings and with three days to spare, or they lose their, their tennis match three sets down, they look at the camera and they say, yes, well, I'm going to take away the positives. And you think, really, what are they? And that isn't what Barnabas was doing. Barnabas didn't come to you and tell you a whole load of flannel. He spoke the truth. And part of what he said, which was encouraging, even though it doesn't sound like it, was, you know, it's pretty challenging being a Christian. It's pretty hard work. Life's going to get tough. In Acts 14, 21, this is what it says. They preached the, the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And I really like this standout feature about Barnabas. I think his persistence but his acknowledgement that it could be hard going as well as deeply rewarding is very, very encouraging. That's why I think when you hear from people that they are uh, struggling in their Christian life, it, in, a, in an odd way, we can encourage them much more accurately. And he also, of course, spoke about the good times too. We read that he would gather together people and they would speak and report everything God had done through them and how God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. We're told in Acts 15, 12, 
the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done amongst them. Fifth mark of an encourager, to be a person of prayer. In Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for each church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. And this might sound strange, but it's encouraging when we meet other Christians who we know are praying who we know their life is built on more than management modules, human skill, and that kind of thing. They're people of deep faith and prayer. Six, his bravery. He was willing to risk his life for God. In Acts 15, 25 and 26, we read, So we all agreed to choose the men and send them to you, our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, Men who've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever we've had people to speak at HT who have been in the firing line, who literally have risked their lives for Jesus Christ, we're in awe. And it is very, very encouraging. Because we see, well, it's so obvious why it would be encouraging. And this just speaks to us. Is there any situation in which you would not follow Jesus Christ? Courage and bravery under fire, in whatever shape it takes, is encouraging. And the last, the last hallmark is this, his kindness. He was fundamentally a kind man. And we see this in Acts 15, verse 36, in the dispute that arose between Paul and Barnabas. And it's set out for us in in Acts, so I'll read it to you. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we've preached the word of God, and let's see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him, because he deserted them in Pamphylia and hadn't continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company, Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left. And I often wondered, so which of them was right, Barnabas or Paul? And maybe this is uh, a bit of a cop-out, but I think they were both right. Because uh, Paul just didn't have, at that particular time in his life, the mercy and the compassion that would have put put the chap together again. Whereas Barnabas was patient, was kind, had a temperament that was going to encourage, encourage, encourage. I think it would have actually killed John Mark to go with Paul at that point. But it's so fitting that he should have gone with Barnabas. But what you see here is someone who had mercy in spades. Someone who could see the greater picture to the degree that he would step down and say, come on, I know you can do it. The task of building the kingdom of God is too important, too urgent to bear grudges. I I read an example of this kind of grace when reading a biography of Abraham Lincoln. Apparently, there was a general in the field called McLennan who slighted Lincoln at every single opportunity that he possibly could. He would snub him. He would make a point of turning up late for meetings with the president. 
Time and again, he would criticize the president. And a group of Lincoln's friends came to him in private and urged him to dismiss McLennan. But Lincoln believed he was the best man for the job. And he said, very remarkably, I would hold his horse for him if it would help him win the battle. You know, there are some things that are more important than trivial slights and envy. And building the kingdom of God is one of them. So in conclusion, what can make a person like this? Is Barnabas too good to be true? And obviously, I would hope you'd expect me to be saying, no, he's obviously not too good to be true. But there must be a secret to his life, and there is. And it's, I believe, contained in a little phrase that we've read about him. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And that's it. I think it's right we aspire to all these seven ways of being an encourager. But frankly, just sheer human effort won't see you able to do it. But the Holy Spirit can. Human effort with the help of the Holy Spirit could see us doing this more and more and more. He was a good person, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. His heart was devoted to the Lord, and he withheld nothing. And God's heart was devoted to him, and God withheld nothing. Let's pray together. We just have a moment of quiet so that each of us could do dealings with God and just open our hearts to the Lord. Maybe, just maybe, there's an aspect of Barnabas' life that you've seen slightly differently this morning and recognize it's not in your life. Not yet, anyway. I'm going to pray a prayer that the Holy Spirit would come and imprint on our hearts the love of God. Lord Jesus, thank you for Barnabas. Thank you for these most endearing qualities that we have read about and focused on this morning. And Lord, it's our heart's desire to be more and more like you. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd be able to soften our hearts time and time again. That we might become people who are genuinely encouragers. Help us, Lord, to be wholehearted for you. Give us eyes that recognize and see what's good. Give us compassion and the ability to come alongside those who are struggling and those who need encouragement of the moment. Thank you, Lord, there's so much going on which is encouraging. Thank you for the many people who already have stepped up to us and encouraged us. But we're praying this morning, Lord, that we as a church, as a family, would become more and more an encouragement to each other and to those who don't yet know you. We pray in Jesus' name.